This is the Tantalk Radio Network. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Let me tell you about my company, Gulfstream Motorsports, Inc. 727-541-1741. I have over 35 years' experience with classic, vintage, sport, and racing cars. I do appraisals, consulting, and pre-purchase inspections. Before you buy your next rare classic, the car of your dreams, give me a call at Gulfstream Motorsports, Inc. 727-541-1741. Also, due to my 28 years' experience in the auto salvage business, I am very good with wrecks. So if your car has been in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call me at 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for lost value of your repaired vehicle. That's Gulfstream Motorsports, Inc., 727-541-1741. And be sure to tune in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, Wednesdays, 7 to 8 p.m. on the Tantalk Radio Network, a.m. 1340. If you like golf, enjoy affordable golf at Magnolia Valley Golf Club, located on Massachusetts Avenue in Newport Ritchie. Play for as little as $15 after 2 p.m. The club has two beautiful courses to choose from, an 18-hole championship par 72 plus another nine-hole executive par 33. Join their open leagues on Wednesday afternoons at 4 and Sunday mornings at 8. Call 727-847-2342 for tee times or visit their website, magnoliavalleygolfclub.com. General Electric Color Style Portables, this season's outstanding radio values. These GE portables are styled in gay colors to accent your own good taste and complement your favorite sportswear. Choose between rich maroon, fawn tan, and marine green. Your new GE Portable will be easy to carry. It weighs only eight pounds complete. GE Black Daylight Television Receivers give you greater eye comfort with its big 12 and a half inch tube. You get amazing new lifelike picture quality. Blacks are so much blacker, grays so much richer, whites so much whiter. You enjoy sharper contrast and amazing detail. GM's first turbine was the Turbo Cruiser bus. One year later, the first GM turbine car, the 1954 Firebird 1, was introduced. This car's design was in sync with its futuristic power plant. The Firebird 1 was capable of rocket-like speeds of 230 miles per hour. But the engineers kept pushing for more and more speed. In the 1950s, America was enamored with the seemingly limitless possibilities of the future. In 1956, General Motors unveiled its next rocket-shaped turbine car. to control tower. We are about to take off on the highway of tomorrow. Stand by. General Motors lured the public with the techno siren song of a turbine-powered future. And now, tests at the General Motors Desert Proving Ground in Arizona. Tests to prove out the forward-looking designs, the ideas embodied in this experiment on wheels. To some, it was laughably over the top. 
in a campy sort of way. Squeeze your sonic key and sound waves open the door. The sonic key is also used to start the car. First, the small accessory engine. Then, the gas turbine. Brake clamps provide additional braking. You're ready now for the driving thrill of a lifetime. Want to sit back and relax? Well then, set in the speed you want to drive and switch over to automatic guidance. Release the stick and Firebird 3 is on its own. By the end of the decade, the Firebird project costs were out of this world. The cars were too wild and out of touch with the times. The project was dropped, but the show cars remain crowd pleasers even today. Listeners, welcome. You are tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and we are live in downtown Clearwater. And we got a great show for you tonight. In fact, I got some special guests sitting in with me tonight. With me this evening is David, Nooney, and Noah Chapel. Hey, how you guys doing? We're good, thanks. Okay, you guys are from Michigan. Okay. Noah, do you want to uh, say a big shout out to anybody? You want to say hi to your grandparents or your uncle or anybody? To my uncle Nolan, my cousin Melissa, and Neil. We'll say hello. <laughs> and you're on the air. You're live on WTAN AM 1340. Super. So what right do you think? You enjoying the beach, Noah? Yes. Okay. It beats the cold, doesn't it? Yeah. Okay, very good. Well, Mommy, what do you think? Um, I think I like the sunshine. You like the sunshine? Mm-hmm. Okay. You guys get down here quite a few times a year, don't you? Or just this once? As much as we can. As we b- work it. You work it. Okay. David, all right. You're the... Uh, kind of the main guy here. So tell us a little bit about David Chappell, and uh, you're a well-known kind of automotive artist. So tell us about some of your work and where you're from and how you got involved in it. Well, uh, my family and I are from Grand Blanc, Michigan. We travel the country to major events, concours, um, auctions, fine art fairs, and I'm an artist and I'm a fine art painter, do commission work, and I create ultimate settings of cars in uh, cool places. Super. Now, most notably, I've seen you at, uh, in fact, I saw you last two weeks ago. I guess it's been a week and a half ago. We were out in Scottsdale. You were at uh, Bear Jackson, right? Time Warp, yep. Okay. And then you were at uh, Meekum over the weekend. Yes. And then last year, I saw some of your work at Amelia Island. Possibly. And uh, I think you're going to be, where did you say? In a couple of weeks, you're going to be down, or next month, you'll be down at RM? RM, uh, the middle of March. Okay. Yes. And then obviously, in your hometown, you go to Meadowbrook, or which is now the St. John's. Uh, event wonderful event uh-huh. yes yes so now you're a car guy too so tell us a little bit about your hobbies and your interest in cars and how this whole car art thing came about well my father and i've restored cars for goodness 30 years and we started out with volkswagens his love affair turned into my love affair and we i still own my first car i ever had which is a 69 beetle Super. My wife and I got married in it, and okay. my son will drive it when he turns 16, so it's a little fun car. Most of my time is in is in my fine art now and creating ultimate uh, paintings and sculptures. 
I uh, don't really have time for the cars, but it's a love affair. I go to all the major events around the country, and I see ultimate cars, and I love it. It's uh, I get geeked every time I see, see an awesome car, and uh, it stirs an emotion in me that comes out in my paintings. Now, by trade, I guess, how would you describe yourself? Are you a graphics artist or just a artist extraordinaire? Or how, I mean, you obviously have a fundamental um, uh, talent, I mean, in terms of artwork, I mean, that, that you did, and then eventually it evolved into the car thing. So what did you do before you did the cars? Well, I went to a small liberal arts school in Michigan called Hope College and graduated from there. I was actually commissioned my junior year to paint three large paintings for them. And that turned into my career. So I'm a fine artist. I'm not a trained graphic artist. I am a total fine artist. I've lived that life for the past 20 years. And what comes from me onto my canvas or my sculptures is is the fine art. I try to create something that is an experience when you come into my booth or view my artwork. It's... um, it's something that's within me that, that I try to convey to my viewing audience. Uh, you mentioned sculptures. Tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about some of the sculpturing that you do. I create hand-carved, hand-cut um, poplar sculptures that are hand-painted on. I, I take a form that I like to go with with the, with the wood, and I create the, the lines of, a, of how I would interpret speed coming off of a car. Then I paint a... Like my most recent ones are the uh, um, 917 G- Porsche and the GT40. Yes, yes. So, the golf uh, cars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Awesome cars. Uh-huh. And uh, so what I do is I hand paint them on there. Then I uh, take them all apart and I uh, clear coat them, sand them, clear coat them probably seven times. So it's it's an awesome uh, fine piece of artwork. So those sculptures, um, I really wish people could see. We didn't, you don't have any samples here, obviously. But now, if they wanted to see some of your work, do you have a website they could check out real quick? Yes, it's autoart.com. And then all your stuff is displayed on there, including these sculptures we're talking about. Yes, some of my sculptures are on there. It's With my with my sculptures and my original art, it's hard to keep the website up at, t- at times up to date because I sell them so quickly. No kidding. Mm-hmm. On an average, what do those uh, sculptures sell for? Uh, they start off around 7800 and go up to... Close to twenty thousand. Wow, that's amazing. Now, what in, in terms? So somebody could get a, so the listeners could get a visual on it. How big are they? Would you say roughly? I mean, what would be some average dimensions? Uh, the ones that you saw out at Barrett Jackson mm-hmm. were fifty-five inches long, up to sixty-six inches long by fourteen to eighteen inches uh, wide. Well, that's a that's a nice size drawing. Oh, it's 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 a cool. It, they're cool pieces. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, really I'm really proud of them. It's it's something that you'll never see anyone else doing, and it's totally unique to what I do. I so. was I would have to concur with that. I mean, that is something that's really really unique. I mean, I've never seen it anywhere. And when I saw it, I believe it was at St. John's over the summer. Yeah, that's when was, I unveiled them. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, it definitely was an eye catcher. Right. I mean, Absolutely stunning work. I mean, I stood there for a while and stared at him. Right on. Okay. Now, the other paintings that you do, the other drawings, mm-hmm. like the uh, – tell us a little bit about some of those. Well, um, they're all hand-painted also, just like the sculptures. I work on canvas. I do any size. It's, you know, it's what I'm feeling at the time. And my paintings take a long time. It's it's nothing that's created overnight. I, I'll have ideas stirring in my mind for months, and then I'll finally put it down on canvas and – um, I love to play with light. Uh, lighting is key with everything that I do. So an awesome sunset, uh, lighting from a, a building, like a gas station scene with the lights above, the way it illuminates a car. Um, and that's what stirs the people when they look at it and they view it and they're, um, it really uh, brings emotion. You can experience it. Oh, yeah. It's, it's very dimensional. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. Now these are you do you do the uh, uh, the originals, and then what most people buy obviously are the prints. Correct, Noni? Some G clays. We sell um, some fine art. We have a publisher that produces a beautiful G clay for us. Okay, what's a G clay? I'm not familiar with that. Um, a G clay is um, it's a canvas reproduction, and okay. all of our all of our reproductions are um, limited editions. Mm-hmm. And David hand stretches, and he builds his stretcher bars. So he is um, involved in it's a, it's an integral part of everything. Everything he does it has great integrity. So mm-hmm. the art itself, even in a reproduction, he takes great pride in, in every part of it. Yeah, no one ever touches anything in my limited editions or my originals. I I create everything, I stretch it myself, and that's that's how I was taught. So I don't know any other way, and uh, it's it's uh, it's a lot of work. Now you said you commission, or you can you're, you do commission work, which means sure. let's say, for example, if I wanted something done, or anybody else, let's say a listener or something like that wants something done specifically, mm-hmm. you do that as well. I sure do. Now, are, are your drawings oil? They're acrylics. Acrylics. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've 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 worked in oils. I uh, I just enjoy the acrylics because I get a, a quick uh, a quick dry on it. The oils being left handed, I, I work right to left at times, and I'll just smear it with my hand. So okay. he's mastered he's mastered that though, mm-hmm. and and pastels, and pencil. His everything he does though, you can see his style and everything, and it's still beautiful. And every now and then he'll he'll pick up pastels or a pencil mm-hmm. or watercolors. I started beautiful. out in oh, watercolors. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, Lee, let's fire up that first song real quick because uh, we're going to play a, a Michigan band for our Michigan guests. And of course, Lee, you're from Michigan too, right? Yeah, I previewed this. It's a blast from the past. Great cool song. All right. Bob Seeger and the last heard East Side Story. Okay. Tell everybody. This one, you were a kid. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, was a, I was a young tyke. Okay. Let's, let's roll it. Tell you this. 
listeners. This is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kirk at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radiant Cars. I'd like to tell you about a great place to eat right on the main part of Clearwater Beach. Located at 333 South Gulfview Boulevard. Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill has two floors of food, drink, and fun. They have daily specials, happy hour, nightly entertainment. Their menu caters to seafood lovers as well as land lovers. Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill, 727-608-2065. They're open in the morning for breakfast until 1 a.m. So stop by and visit my friends, Turtle, Eddie, and Polly, and all the girls and staff at Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill. That's 727-608-2065. Mention Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and you never know, you might get a free drink. That's Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill on Clearwater Beach, 727-608-2065. Okay, we're back. You're tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm sitting here with my friends from Michigan. I'm sitting here with David and his wife, Noonie, and their son, Noah. And they're from Michigan, and Dave's an artist. And Noonie's the manager, I guess? I could be. She's yeah. the director. She's the director. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, tell us about uh, the prints and some of the other stuff that you... Uh, tell us about your end of it a little bit, real quick. Well, I pretty much handle all of the um, the sales and the negotiations. So okay. they've kind of got to work through me. Okay. It works, so, it works well. They do. They she, do. People come in and say, hey, uh, tell me a little bit about that. And I'll say, you, you got to talk to the pretty lady over there. Okay. She mm-hmm. handles all the administration. Pretty she's much. The, she's the boss. Yeah. Okay. You wanted to talk a little bit about your uh, upcoming events, some of the, because like Amelia and St. John's, that basically as an artist, you have to be invited. So tell us how that works. I do. Uh I have to be invited to uh, Amelia Island by the Automotive Fine Arts Society, and they're they're a small society of probably the world's top artists, automotive artists, and there may be 25 members worldwide. So I have to be invited to do their events. So I got invited to be their guest artist at Amelia Island that I'm very excited about. So I'll be viewing, uh, showing my new sculptures just a handful of original paintings that are my, my highest, uh, best pieces. And then I'll come back down here for a couple of days, hang out, and then go down to Fort Lauderdale for Auctions America uh, with RM. Oh, wow. Now, how many paintings do you do a year? I mean, how, does that, how do you determine what you're going to do and when you're going to change your inventory, so to speak? Well, it depends on how I'm feeling. Sometimes I can <laughs> do smaller pieces, sometimes larger pieces. Mm-hmm. The larger pieces can take month, month and a half. Mm-hmm. So when I'm painting, it's like a good book. I don't ever want to put it down. I want to complete the painting and see what it's like finished. So I do one piece at a time. When I get home, I'll be doing sculptures again, and I'm really excited about creating new sculptures. It's something that that I've had within me for 20, 30 years, but 
I just haven't had the opportunity. So I finally – I do custom benches, too, which are very, mm-hmm. very high-end. Benches? Yeah, high-quality. Did you see the benches in no. Scottsdale? I, yeah, I might have already uh, sold, those? sold the piece before well, you. you saw it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I do one-of-a-kind original custom benches, which you can view also on autoart.com. Mm-hmm. And so the benches uh, came into doing – wall sculptures so it it just one went into the other and i'm just excited about them so i want to continue on that direction they're very very refined yeah okay well that was my next question was Mm -hmm. gonna be what's the inspiration for some of the sculptures but now you just said that that was the benches Mm -hmm. and one thing kind of evolved into the other and how about for the artwork itself for the drawings what's the inspiration there well being being a fine artist i i yeah my wife's my inspiration (laughs) yeah she just pointed to herself (laughs) that's good Uh, um you know, I, I, just the love affair for the cars. But mm-hmm. being me being a fine artist, I'm continually viewing new directions. I, you know, I, I went into my classic phase for a while. I went into my muscle car phase for a while. Now I'm kind of gearing towards the, the 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 historic racing scene. Oh, cool! Uh, so that's that's kind of where my my heart is now. Mm-hmm. And I, I just I love to reinvent myself and come out with new images that people are are just wowed by. Mm-hmm. And that's what draw. That's what stirs me and and drives me as an artist is to I want that wow factor every time they look at my work. Mm-hmm. How about vintage races? Do you ever go to let's say like Pebble Beach? Have you been there to sell some of your stuff? Love Pebble. I can't. I love Pebble Beach. Okay, that's good. Emphasis yeah. on love. Yeah, Pebble I do. Beach. I do. <laughs> every time I get out there, it's it's crazy totally different cars that you never see before so i Mm -hmm. just love it i love it we had um that one experience though we um we had the opportunity to stay at the laguna sega um raceway yeah and we were were at the top of the hill with the the sardine clan where you're all filed in there Mm -hmm. and you wake up and you hear those races in the morning incredible better than coffee you know hearing those cars with the open that motorhome door and hear that sound it was good i think they start at like 7 a.m you know and you come in late at night because we had auctions that we did in monterey and it was it was it was incredible yeah it was the best experience yeah you know what's great about you guys she's involved Junior's involved. Yeah. You're right. It's a family deal. It, it's great. And she's just as enthusiastic about the car mm-hmm. stuff, mm-hmm. just as much as you are. And that's really cool. It is. That's really cool. Yeah. Super. Hey, Lee, let's go ahead and fire up this other song real quick, and then we'll get our guest on the phone. And then we'll bring him back. And uh, on with the show, this is it. Got that turntable working yet? We got a problem with the needle, don't we? <laughs> <laughs>
a magnificent El Dorado town car by Cadillac. Ensemble by Christian Dior of Paris. Buick presents the Sleek Centurion. Driving Coat by Montesano of New York. Oldsmobile's elegant golden rocket. Sports Outfit by Pat Primo of Los Angeles. Pontiac's Club de Mer, open to the sky. Costume by Emilio of Capri. Chevrolet's Impala, graceful and swift. Silk Casual by Digby Morton of London. And last of all, designed for the electronic highway of the future, the fabulous turbine-powered Firebird 2. to control tower. We are about to take off on the highway of tomorrow. Stand by. Okay, we're back, and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm sitting here with Dave Chappell, his lovely wife, Noonie, and Noah. But now it's time to introduce our other special guest for the evening. Now, this guy can be single-handedly credited for saving a lot of these very rare concept cars that were featured and mentioned in some of these uh, clips that I played earlier. So it gives me great pleasure to welcome to the show this evening, from Chicago, Joe Bortz. Joe, are you there? I'm here, and I, I, I thought that was such an appropriate introduction, uh, what you played. It uh, really uh, really is just uh, what uh, what my collection is all about, so that was very interesting. Thank you. I'm glad you appreciate that. Now, tell us a little bit about yourself and how your whole, uh, whole hobby began with the uh, concept cars. Well, you know, I'm probably like a lot of collectors, and as, you know, as a young kid and, you know, was always fascinated with the cars and uh, I always tell the story about how when I was about uh, nine years old my dad got me one of those newspaper delivery bicycles with the big basket on the front and the little wheel in the front so you could you know deliver a lot of newspapers of course I wasn't delivering newspapers I was going down to dealer row and you know pulling flyers for each car for each uh, whatever they had on the rack I'd take a flyer and I got to know all the guys uh, at the dealerships, and at the end of the year when the new cars came in and they had a half a box of flyers or even an unopened box of flyers, um, I would uh, put them in my basket and take them home. And I had this really, really large closet that was off my bedroom. I mean, you know, it was a big walk-in closet, which was unusual for those days. And uh, I eventually uh, filled it up with uh, car literature that, uh, you know, was just uh, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of pieces of car literature. So it was uh, 
was you know something as I guess I was collecting car literature before I could collect the real thing, which was uh, cars. You know, of course, an interesting footnote to that story was uh, when I was about uh, 11 or 12 years old. I went to camp for a summer up in Wisconsin, and while I was up there, my mother was telling me how she was remodeling the kitchen and uh, how she was expanding it. Well, I found out that the expansion for the kitchen went into my closet. <laughs> yeah. And that was the, they took the walk-in closet and made that part of the kitchen. So when I got home, I said, what did you do with all my literature? She says, oh, that junk, we threw it out, was a fire hazard. Oh, <laughs> so, that hurt. So, yeah, so, you know, but uh, that's just uh, one of those things. Uh, but then, you know, after that, uh, I... Uh, but, you know, when I was about 18, I started collecting. The first car I collected was a 1928 Chevrolet padded top Landau Coupe. And my dad had a 60 Corvair. And me and my friend Al Garsman went out about 40 miles to pick it up. And, of course, back then they didn't have flatbeds and enclosed trailers and things like that. They had a 40-foot length of rope. Huh. And uh, we tied the rope onto the back bumper of the Corvair and onto the front of the front bumper of the Chevy, and we towed it home 40 miles on the highway. Today they throw you in jail for you. You'd be in jail for a week for that one. So, but that, back then that was the norm, you know. So that's that was my first car. Now you are a biochemist by uh, by profession, correct? Yeah, I mean, my you know my college training and everything was in biochemistry, and I had a pharmaceutical company uh, in the uh, late '60s and early '70s that I sold out to a, a holding company in St. Louis and uh, stayed with them for a number of years, and in the process uh, acquired an ice cream parlor, and that kind of put me into the restaurant business for a few decades, and that uh, eventually led to owning some nightclubs and. And we had a chain of nightclubs and a chain of restaurants, and uh, you know, it was a nice way to make a living and have a little left over to buy and buy the cars that you you really want to buy. So it was it all worked out kind of synergistically. Super. Now, how did you get? How did the whole idea of acquiring these concept cars come about? Well, I'd like to say that it was all a planned event, but it was just the opposite. Uh, it was uh, actually an accident because back then um, the word that was put out by all the companies, General Motors, Ford, and Chrysler, was that they were destroying their concept cars after they had their usefulness for you know for the shows, and he, and the books and the magazines all you know kind of confirmed that. And then there was one day when a friend of mine got called me. He was all excited, and he said, "You know, Joe, Joe, I found the guy. He's he's got a concept car." And I go, "Oh, you know, please, you know, they're all destroyed. Don't you read the books?" And uh, you know, I, he kept pounding on me. He says, "No, no, this is the real thing." I talked to the guy. I just feel it in my bones. So I said, "Well, give me the number. I'll talk to him. I'll find out that it's probably just a customized car by some fellow that does a nice job on customizing." And you know, so I called the guy up, and it turned out that it was a guy from Chicago. I think he was living in Oregon, and um, I think it was the Pontiac X400. That was the car, and you know, he convinced me that he had a concept car, and then a couple of years later, I ended up buying the car. It was actually a, f- a fellow that had been in the restaurant business in Chicago, 
and um, I bought the car, and then right after that, another one popped up, and by that time, they were starting to do some stories in some of the publications uh, about the fact that I was turning up these concept cars that were supposed to be destroyed, and then you know, they started popping out of the woodwork. But basically, the cars, uh, like at General Motors, the designers that were given these blank pieces of paper to make their dream on paper and then have it built into reality, uh, were told in the beginning, you know, we're going to destroy this car, you know, after after it uh, serves our purpose. And some of these guys would accept that, but when it came time for the destruction, they'd go in and kind of cry in front of one of the executives. And, you know, it was a political situation over there, too. And uh, they'd say, well, here, I'm going to give you an order to have the car released to you. And don't uh, this car shouldn't show up in public in any way, shape, or form for 25 years or until both of us are dead. You know, And it was about 25 years later when I started uh, coming up with these cars, and they started. To, I started to realize that a lot of them had been stashed away. And then, of course, we did the Great War Hoop find, uh, which is a junkyard up in Detroit by General Motors. And a long story short, uh, they had sent four cars over there to be crushed, and uh, Mr. Warhoop didn't crush him. He hit him away in, in 1980. That was in 1958. In 1988, um, he ended up uh, selling me the four cars, and we just uh, finished restoring the first one uh, in last year. Well, actually, it was 2010. We we finished it, and we showed it at, uh, at Meadowbrook. So we're finishing up the second one now, which is the 1955 LaSalle Roadster. And that'll be uh, probably have its grand, you know, resurfacing uh, at the Corvette Museum uh, this year on Labor Day weekend. They have a big annual event uh, there, and uh, we're going to have the car there, and uh, it'll be uh, inducted into the museum for one year. Um, now, the uh, last year you had what was the the, the Bel Air. The, the green car, the green suicide yeah, door. That, that, yeah, that's the Biscayne. The Biscayne, I'm sorry. Yeah, that car was uh, that car was cut but wasn't crushed, and it took us uh, about 20 years to make it back into a full-scale running car. And, of course, it's a beautiful-looking car and has all sorts of styling cues on it that were later used in production, such as the wraparound uh, windshield that goes into the roof was a 59 feature at General Motors on all their cars, and the hubcaps uh, on that became the 57 Chevrolet hubcaps, and the front fender uh, design, uh, a good part of it, became the 63-64 Riviera, and so on and so forth. You know, So then that's what the cars were supposed to do, is test uh, styling cues to see how the public reacted to it, and then employ those styling cues in future production cars. Now you have, what, approximately, there's a website. Tell us a little bit about, for our listeners, tell us a little bit about your website if they want to well, find out. Yeah, the website, uh, I actually have two websites. Um, my car website, the collection website, is uh, pretty simple. It's just BortsAutoCollection.com. That's BortsAutoCollection.com. And you can go surf that, and there's uh, all sorts of cars and stories and articles that I've written and things like that. And then also in my, about three or four years ago, I started collecting motorcycles. I was sick for about a couple months at home, and I was watching eBay, and kind of started watching motorcycles, and I said, oh, my God, look at that. That's that's beautiful. If I could buy that for a few thousand dollars, and 
I put a bid on it, and by the time I was done recuperating, I think I owned about five motorcycles. So mm. that got me into motorcycles, and now we have a very interesting collection of about 50 motorcycles. So that's on the website also on uh, BortsAutoCollection.com. And then... Uh, what kind oh, of motorcycles are in the collection? Pardon? What type of motorcycles, what vintage uh, are in your collection? Yeah, you know, I, I like to get it, uh, it ahead of the curve when I was collecting the concept cars. You know, everybody was collecting classic cars. So when I got into <laughs> motorcycles here, uh, I'm not collecting pre-war motorcycles. The only pre-war motorcycle I have is a uh, 1940 Indian four-cylinder, which is an interesting pre-war motorcycle. But all my motorcycles are basically 60s, uh, 70s, and 80s, big, big motorcycles, whatever the biggest motorcycle was being made. Uh, during that period or by that company, you know, I get I always want the biggest ones. And uh, it's, a, it's a collection that uh, has some semblance of order to it, which is the way I like to collect. You know, I, I always say I collect like women, you know, who have their dinner service. they got to have the gravy bowl and the cutting plate and, you know, all of the different knives and forks and everything. I like to have a collection that kind of has that same idea where it kind of makes sense, you know. So we have motorcycles that during the uh, 70s and 80s, the motorcycle industry was very dynamic and a lot of changes were happening, and they made uh, turbo motorcycles, they made six-cylinder motorcycles, and um, and and those, they don't make them anymore. So, you know, uh, they, it's a very interesting period in time for motorcycle development, and I think my collection pretty much uh, represents a lot of that. Okay. Now, as far as your concept car collection, that consists of what, roughly 20-some-odd cars? Tell us. Yeah, I'd say that uh, it. Uh, we probably had... All together, about 35 to 40, and I ended up uh, thinning the herd uh, several years ago and getting it down to the core of about 20 of what I consider the most important concept cars that are in private uh, hands. And uh, we uh, send them to museums. They, uh, our cars have been shown at most of the important car museums in the United States, like Peterson in California and Gilmore in Michigan. Uh, Museum of Science and Industry in Chicago, um, Cleveland Auto and Aviation Museum. We were the stars of the show of uh, at uh, Louis Vuitton show uh, when they used to have it in, in New York City. Uh, so, yeah, and actually this year, that's uh, an interesting point, this year it looks like we're going to send three cars for a year induction into the Corvette Museum on Labor Day. And uh, we're going to probably send two cars to the Cadillac Museum uh, uh, at uh, Gilmore. They have a building or a barn there, and we'll have two cars there. One's a Cadillac uh, Valkyrie by Brooke Stevens, and uh, the other is one of the War Hoops finds on Restored, the 1955 LaSalle four-door sedan, which will be uh, we'll probably start restoration on that in a year or so. And then we're also the stars of the Pontiac National Show, uh, which takes place in uh, Pheasant Run here in Illinois, um, in St. Charles. And uh, we'll uh, have four of our Pontiac concept cars in that show. That's going to be really, really big. So, you know, we've got a busy summer planned for ourselves. Um, are you going to bring anything special down here to Amelia Island next month? Yes, yes. I'm bringing the 1955-56 uh, 
Cadillac Valkyrie Eldorado by Brooks Stevens. And that's a car that was not only shown here in the United States, but was shown in Europe and really created quite a, quite a stir there in Europe because of the front bumper is shaped like a gigantic V. And Brooks Stevens was very proud that the Americans at that time were known for their V8 engines uh, when the Europeans were doing straight fours, straight sixes, and straight eights. So he made the front bumper uh, emblematic for that uh, factor, and uh, it's very striking, uh, along with a lot of other features on the car. And that'll be in the special uh, bodied uh, Cadillac section at uh, Amelia Island. Uh, and of course, that's always a great, great show. And um, Bill Warner just uh, knows how to put it together, and uh, it's it's been a great show for a long time. And you know, it's really kind of uh, you know. Pebble Beach on the you know on the west coast and Amelia Island on the east coast. So those are the two great shows. But there's a lot of great shows. But those are two of my favorites. What would you say would be the most significant car in your collection? In other words, the car that probably made the the most significant impact in terms of uh, what was incorporated on that car wound up ultimately uh, in production. Well, I mean, the one that had the most styling cues that were later used in production would be the 1955 Chevrolet Biscayne. Okay. Um, most of your General Motors uh, cars, of uh, which are the Motorama cars, uh, were fiberglass. That was the new medium of the day. And, of course, that's a fiberglass car also. But uh, it has very it has a lot of styling cues, like I said before, the hubcaps and the windshield, the front fenders. The side cove uh, at 180 degrees became the side cove of the 56 Corvette. The back end uh, looks very much like a Corvair back end, and the part of that uh, looks like uh, the taillights are, were later used by uh, later Corvettes. So... It's uh, it's a very interesting car, and of course the Buick Wildcat one that we have, which is a two-seater fiberglass car in 1953, uh, that has was the first car to use the portholes that later became famous on all the Buicks of the 50s. So yeah, there's a lot of a lot of a lot of interesting things going on, and you know when you study uh, cars, you end up studying history because the cars indirectly, uh, you know represent what was going on historically at that time and you know if uh, you know the cars of the post-war period were kind of gaudy and didn't have a lot of engineering feats because you know the americans felt that they had won world war ii and their attitude was hey you know if you got it flaunted so they flaunted it on their cars and that's how they became kind of like uh, very uh embellished with chrome and things like that and uh, the Europeans were working on the mechanical features and that's where we kind of lost ground eventually uh, to the uh, to the engineering uh, of the Europeans and of course then eventually the Japanese well now it's funny you mentioned that um, would a 49 Cadillac probably be a good example of that you know with the p51 fins on the back and the huge bumpers and that well, was kind of like the first redesigned yeah. car. 49 was the year, see, uh, when we went to war in 41, uh, the cars that were designed for 41 and uh, some went into uh, into 42 into production, and then the all the car production ceased and all production that was for cars became tanks and other army vehicles. Then when the war ended in 46, by 47, they needed to put out, there had been quite a shortage of new cars, so the, you know, the, 
the general public was hungry for cars, and they started using the the designs and what they had on uh, tap uh, for design uh, was the 41, 42 designs. And they used that in 47, 48, and then on 49, most of the companies, uh, General Motors and Ford and Chrysler, came up with some new major changes for 49. And, of course, the 49 Cadillac and the 49 Buick and all the 49 cars with General Motors were all new designs. And, of course, the Cadillac came up with the fins and on the back and all that, and that was the start of it. Yeah, that was kind of the beginning of the new philosophy of if you got it, flaunt it. And I'd say that's a, probably a good analogy to think that it did start to really take on full force in uh, 1949. Are it, most of your cars in your collection, do they are they GM-based cars, or do you have some Ford and Chrysler on your, in well, terms of concept uh, cars? Uh, we have... Uh, we have one American Motors, and we have uh, uh, several Chrysler and a whole lot of uh, General Motors, and uh, we don't have any Fords uh, currently, no. Okay. Now, is it true that a lot of the concept cars were basically rolling chassis, that there was no drive lines in them, no motors or trainings or anything like that? No, I, no, I wouldn't say that most of them. I would say there were a few, mm-hmm. and, and, and there's different stories uh, for those few that... Uh, that didn't have their motors in place. For instance, the 1956 Cadillac Eldorado Brome uh, was set up to have a motor, but they were running very late, and the show was coming up, and somebody said, just chain down the hood and put a couple lead weights uh, in the front to weigh it down on the springs. We don't have time to get that thing all set in place. And, you know, just like anything else, you know, sometimes you're just, you know, big... Big companies can run late on something, and they got to fudge it just like you know some people do. Uh, just uh, you know when they're personally running late. So yeah, they had a problem. They had some problems like that. And there were some cars that were scheduled not to be runners. They were pushers, but most of them, I would say, ran. In my opinion, yeah, for sure. Okay, what would what is your cutoff in terms of the concept cars that you collect? So, in other words, what would be the you know? I mean, is it sixty, sixty-five? Is it fifty? Yeah, we, we you know my my spectrum would run from about nineteen fifty-three till about nineteen seventy. But you know, seventy is just uh, pushing it, and there's just a couple pieces that would be of consideration for me. But for instance, we have the 1966 Duesenberg Revival car oh, really? that was uh, designed by uh, uh, Exner and um, and then built uh, to be the continuation of a Duesenberg by uh, Augie Duesenberg's uh, son or nephew. And of course, they only built the one prototype, which we have, and then they went out of business. Is that car based on the Pontiac chassis? Is it no, like the Stutz? No, 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 they, no? You're, yeah, you're thinking of some of the cars like the Stutz that were based on Pontiac chassis okay. and built by Gia. But this car was actually had uh, Chrysler, uh, un, uh, Chrysler Imperial underpinnings for suspension and for the drivetrain. Okay, interesting. Um, of those cars, uh, which one do you feel? I mean, the cars that they build today. Do you have any interest in those concept cars at all today? The, the... well, you know. When I started collecting cars in the 60s, everybody was collecting brass cars. 
and the classic cars hadn't come into play yet. And everybody's going, oh, they're just big gas eaters. Nobody ever wants those. And, of course, they came into play. And then when, you know, guys were collecting classic cars and, you know, that was the, 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 the center of focus, um, the um, guys would say, oh, anybody collects 50s cars, that's just, you know, used cars. Who wouldn't want a 50s car in, like, a 53 Eldorado or a 53 Buick Skylark or you know, a 59 Eldorado or a 57 Chrysler 300, that's just a used car. So that's what the, that's what they would say. And, uh, you know, of course, so what, what, I guess the point of all that is that the focus is always moving. And a lot of it depends on the age of the guys that are collecting and what they remember and what they have in their memory bank. And I always kid and say that, well, one day the the uh, lowriders will be the, the main focus, you know, and the guys will be collecting all the the cars that jump up and down uh, six or eight feet in the air. And everybody say, oh, yeah, remember that back in, uh, you know, 2010, that, that what's-his-name built the such-and-such, such, uh, you know, high jumper or something. So you never know where it's going to end up. Of course, uh, I don't think a lot of the collectors that are around today would uh, enjoy that scenario, but uh, it could be, you know. Um, we got a couple, three, four minutes left, or three minutes. So, um, were you fortunate enough to meet guys, anybody like Virgil Exner, or anybody like that, back in the day when you first started collecting cars in the sixties? Uh, I'm not. I never met Virgil Exner, but I'm very good friends with Virgil Exner Jr., okay. who's not exactly a kid these days either. Of course, none of us are. And uh, and I knew all the guys uh, because of what I was doing in the. You know, 80s, most of the guys were still in place uh, at General Motors, especially uh, in the uh, middle and late 80s. They were still there, and a lot of them were just starting to retire, who were the, you know, movers and shakers of the 50s and early 60s. And so I was invited to all the retirement dinners and, you know, things like that. And I got to meet all these guys and, you know, of course, heard a lot of great stories. Uh, one of the stories I heard on the 53 Buick Wildcat 1 is a couple of the guys that were the uh, drivers for the trucks decided to take it out for uh, the 53 Buick uh, Wildcat 1. They took it out for a ride, and they got lost in in Los Angeles and ended up in some really terrible neighborhoods <laughs> and, did, and didn't know how to get home. And this was a guy This was a guy who was at the retirement party telling me about this. He said, Joe, he said, we were just frightened to death here. We're driving this flashy car in a very, very rough neighborhood. And finally we came across some police, and they said, are you guys crazy? What are you doing here? And he said, we're lost. We want to get back to the, to the show, uh, you know, we're going to lose our jobs if we don't get back before uh, you know the, the morning when everybody comes in. They got back fortunately before anybody found out that they were out joyriding the uh, car. So there was a lot of you know interesting stories like that. Okay, Joe. Hey, I want to thank you for coming on the show. I got a couple of people here real quick that want to say hello. I've got Dave Chapel. I think you might know him. He's an oh, artist yeah, from Michigan, sure, sure. and his wife Noonie and her son uh, Noah. They're in from. Uh, Mika Mox, and they were over the weekend in uh, Mika. So they just want to say a quick hello to you guys. Hey, Joe, how you doing? Good, okay. good, good. I heard that Mika Auction uh, did real well. Yeah, they they always do well. It seems like. Okay. Well, anyway, we're just about out of time. Joe, would you be willing to come back on again sometime? We'll t- we'll carry on this conversation. We have got a whole bunch more stuff to talk about. Anytime, I'm always available. Be happy to do it. Okay. Well, Joe, thanks for very much for coming on. We had Joe Bortz, the uh, concept car collector extraordinaire, on. We had David Chapel and his wife Noni and their son Noni, excuse me, and Noah on from. Uh, 
from uh, Grand Aut- Lake. Grand Lake, Michigan. And, yeah. and your company is? Go ahead, plug yourself real quick. Uh, AutoArt.com. Okay, so check out their website and grab something. Uh, they'll be at Amelia Island, so if you guys make it to Amelia Island, you have to. You'll see some of Bortz's collections, and you'll see some of David's collection there. Anyway, everybody else, thanks for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Stay safe, drive carefully, love your family, and we'll see you guys next week. How are you doing there, Khalid? we got a minute or two, or are we out of time? Okay. Hey, everybody, we'll see you at some of the shows. This weekend, Webster in Sumter County. Okay, car show swap meet. I want to see you guys there. We're out of here. Hey, listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. As most of you know, I'm in the car business, and often I need cars towed. Well, Kotakis Towing has all the trucks and equipment to meet your needs. Whether it's long distance, short distance, or just around the corner, they can get it done. Kotakis Towing, located at 1141 Court Street in Clearwater. Also, they have a full-service repair and body shop to meet all your automotive needs. So give my friends Lefty and Joey a call at Kotakis Towing at 727-447-1952. And be sure to mention Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and you might get a discount. 